This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at discoveringtrek.com. Hi, I'm Manu Reme. That's Unam Imnaritni backwards, and I played Echeb on Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Welcome to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. Thank you for joining us. This is episode number 115. We're very excited to be here today. we got some special stuff coming down the pike the next couple of weeks, but we'll talk more about that later. For now, I should bring on my co-host. In the words of that sage observer of our times, Barry Manilow, he made it through the rain, well, and the wind, and really the only force of nature on this planet that expels more hot air than he does. He's the bloviating and long-winded Dan Davidson, and Dan, welcome back from Disney, buddy. I will survive. That's another song somewhere, but uh, yes, thank you. It's great to be back. Had a uh, wonderful time in Disney, but always look forward to getting back behind the microphone and spending some time with you, pal, because you're my pal pal i can tell you're in a good mood because you took no exception to the fact that i just compared you to a hurricane i'm a force (laughs) of nature (laughs) you're something all right yeah it was a great intro i loved it before we get started though i do want to throw out one quick shout out which i normally wouldn't do but it was a very special situation that happened uh, on my way home from uh disney last week And uh, I want to throw a special shout out to Marcos from Southwest Airlines. He was a flight attendant on my flight home from Baltimore to Manchester. And uh, he saw my Trek Geek shirt and complimented me on it and then showed me the little Starfleet Delta that he had on his collar of his uh, Southwest uniform. So that was really cool. He's a big fan of Trek. He's watching Deep Space Nine right now. Showed him my tattoo. He loved it. Told him about the podcast, told him about Camp Kittimer, and he already has joined Camp Kittimer and is listening to the show starting this week. And I am very excited to welcome him to the Camp Kittimer Trek Geeks universe. Woohoo! Good job, Marcos. Well, it's fantastic. Welcome aboard, Marcos. And maybe someday Dan will listen to the show along with you for once. That would be a, a novel idea. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. Dan, why don't you do us a favor and tell Marcos and everybody else how they can get in touch with us to uh, to share their Deep Space Nine watch stories or or even your wishes for finally listening to this podcast? <laughs> I would love to do that. Uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, you can find us at Trek Geeks, or you can send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. If you want to talk to us, go ahead and give us a call at 508-784-1701 to leave a voicemail. You can also do the same thing at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. And as Marcos just recently did, you can also join us over at our f- official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Uh, there's good discussion, good pictures, good stories going on. Of course, there's a lot of discovery talk right now, which we'll get into in a few minutes. Uh, to join the group, just go right over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, or maybe even Bill or I will uh, let you right into the group uh, to take part in all the fun that's going on over there. But you have to remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to you, Bill. That sounded really ominous and dark. Wow. I, I'm afraid. My morning voice can be like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's because your voice the rest of the day is really kind of irritating, so I guess I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. 
It's time for the news from treknews.net. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. (laughs) Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. (laughs) For all the news on all the Star Treks. It's treknews.net. <laughs> Online at treknews.net. I um I, I have no idea what to say after that. I am just uh, I I'm I'm worthless right now. Some might argue You're I'm welcome. worthless all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Never. Dan, Dan, as we record this today, it is uh, Sunday, September 17th. It is early in the morning for us, but as it stands now, we are one week away from the premiere of Star Trek Discovery, and as people hear this, it will be even less than that. It won't it be? Oh, oh man. We've been waiting for this for so long, and over the course of the last few months, it has just been more and more exciting because things are being released all the time, including a wonderful story earlier this week. Uh, which included video that had a preview of the main theme for Star Trek Discovery. And I'm sure you heard it, Bill. I did. And, you know, in, in there was a there was some kind of panel a couple of weeks ago where the cast was in, uh, I think, New York or, or wherever, and they played a snippet of the theme. And, and Sonequa Martin-Green had tears in her eyes. And now I understand why. Because it, it's phenomenal. It just it evokes so much from the Star Trek we know. It does. It's, it's of course Alexander Courage's theme is is woven into this this preview. You can you can see the or you can hear the preview uh, by watching the video over at treknews.net. The original theme is mixed in there, and then we have a glorious rendition of the more modern Star Trek sound that we're used to hearing uh, over the past uh, uh, few years. I think it ties a little bit in with with um, the Star Trek uh, reboot movies a little bit. And then, of course, there's a little bit more of the original series theme at the end. It was it was really great. And uh, got to give uh, big, big kudos to uh, Jeff Russo, who is the composer of the Discovery theme and the music that we're going to hear in the week's time. I know. You know, I've heard some people say that, you know, they hear a little Deep Space Nine in there. They hear a little Voyager. They hear a little Kelvin timeline. So, uh, and of course, the TOS influence. I think that there's going to be a lot to demonstrate that Discovery carries on the lineage as the heir apparent in the Star Trek universe, honestly. I'm just waiting for uh, when they finally release the uh, CD of the music because I will be ordering that puppy in like a nanosecond. I'm surprised you're going to wait for the CD and not just do digital download. <laughs> it is well, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> uh, Dan, also this week, you know, we keep getting new special looks at this series. We keep getting new mini trailers. But there is, in particular, a new trailer this week that had a lot of new footage. A lot of new footage. We got to see some of the characters we really haven't seen or heard too much about, and we've been waiting with bated breath about. Uh, this new trailer dropped during the week, and as you said, lots of new footage, including Cadet Sylvia Tilly. We get to hear her uh, talk a little bit, and uh, she looked great. And Captain Lorca is seen uh, throughout the trailer, and one of the special lines that he gives during a speech is, quote, we embrace the unknown. And I love that. But I think for you and I, we were just ecstatic to finally see Anthony Rapp as Lieutenant Stamets. And he says, quote, and the journey continues. And that just was so great to finally see him uh, in a trailer because we've been waiting for it for a long time. You know, it was a line that kind of reminded me a little bit of Sulu's so much for the little training crews in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where it sort of had a little snark to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree. Definitely exciting to see Anthony as Lieutenant Stamets. I can't wait to see more a week from today, Dan. Oh, my God. A week from today. Um, yeah. Well, in less than a week, my friend, you are headed west, young man, for some small little party or get together, I think. You want to tell us more about that? Yeah, I'll be happy to. I'm, I'm just so honored and humbled for this. Um, I'm going to be heading out to Los Angeles uh, with our friends from Fansets to partake in the Star Trek Discovery premiere that's going to be held out in Hollywood. Um, heading out Tuesday morning 
uh, here from uh, Yarmouth, Maine, going to head out to Los Angeles for the event, which is going to be Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, I'm jumping back on a plane and heading back to Maine. I'm going to be tired, but oh, is it going to be worth it? And the only thing that I don't like about this this trip coming up is that my partner will not be joining me, and I'm very sad about that. But I will, uh, I'll do what I can to um, to make sure that uh, I have a good time. I'm sure you will. I am unable to go due to work obligations and and the like. And uh, dude, I'm excited that you are going to get to go. I'm sure it's going to be the experience of a lifetime. All I can say is you just take as much swag as you can stuff in your shirt and bring it on home. (laughs) (laughs) I actually went to the store yesterday and bought some new clothes for it. And I'm going to be going a la John Champion to this event with the sport coat and the cool shirt underneath. So I'm pretty excited. Wow, maybe we'll see some slow-mo videos out of this, too. Maybe down the red carpet. That would be phenomenal. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. That'll happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely it will. Dude, you will be walking the red carpet before a Star Trek event. Have you considered this? Has this entered your brain? I've tried not to talk to think about it as much as possible because I'll start fangirling here before I even get out there, and I have to hold it together when I'm out there, man. (laughs) <laughs> you only have to hold it together till you get in your seat, I'm thinking, you know? Once That's you're in true. the theater at the arc light there and they start rolling the uh, the episode, I think you're going to get a chance to geek out just like everybody else in attendance, buddy. I think I will do that. And I promise you I will not say one thing to you about the episode after I see it. I want you to be just as surprised as everybody else on Sunday one week from today. That's good because Starfleet Command has authorized me to end you if you do. I just want to throw that out there. (laughs) Okay. Point taken. Uh, Dan, speaking of points taken, one of our favorite Star Trek authors has taken to Twitter to voice his praise for the series. And it is a defensive Star Trek discovery that is eloquent and should give every Star Trek fan some kind of faith. Yeah, this was uh, it was unexpected, and I'm glad that somebody finally did this. Uh, David Mack, who, as I have talked about several times on the podcast, is one of my favorite uh, authors. He he wrote my favorite Star Trek novel ever. Um, but uh, he went to Twitter for a 13 tweet discussion, I guess you could say, about how amazing this is going to be and how much. Um, it is going to explain all of the questions that many people have about what discovery uh, has shown us so far. It was, it was quite a, a, a wonderful uh, 13 tweet read, I guess you could say. Well, and you know, he couldn't state in clear in more clear terms that this is prime timeline and it will square with Canon and for all the the naysayers out there, you know, I wish they I wish I could print this out and just paste it to their wall so that they could look at it every day to see that, you know, this is not the Kelvin timeline. This is not some other offshoot variant timeline. This is prime. And it, it, it has to look like, you know, the future now, because if it looked like the right. future 50 years ago, um, it, nobody would take it seriously. Absolutely. Uh, he did it in a way that was not condescending in any way. He, he, he's very involved in the project, of course, because he's got a, a book coming out very soon. Uh, I think actually in a week or a week and a half or so, which is a discovery novel. So he knows what's going on over there uh, with the show and his praise uh, with the, the cast and the writing staff was, was, was really great. And uh, he basically said to stop predicting doom and gloom. It's a new era of Star Trek. And uh, we're going to sing the team's praises just like he does. And it was a, it was a great set of tweets. Hats off to David Mack. Without a doubt. And, you know, I, we support David Mack, not just in his, his writing, but also in his statements on discovery. Um, I went out immediately after reading those tweets and pre-ordered his discovery novel. Um, and if, you know, if you love Star Trek, if you want to support, you know, great storytelling, because this novel will tie into the series officially, um, go pre-order his novel, which comes out and I think in just over a week, I think it's just after the premiere. Um, and, uh, and, and let's make this thing pop because, you know, this is the kind of storytelling we've been hoping for with Star Trek and we're finally getting it and it's up to us to make it a success, honestly. Yeah, and uh, and it's going to be a success. 
Oh, without a doubt. And Dan, speaking of successes, our dear, dear friends at Fansets have launched the rest of their Series 1 pins for Discovery. And uh, there's even more pins than there were in Vegas, which I didn't realize was going to happen. I know it's awesome, isn't it? Uh, they look great. There's a there's a great uh, article about it over on the official Star Trek dot com site, which is cool. But yeah, Fansets has added to its line of Star Trek pins, um, and now just in time for Discovery, you can get uh, pins of already available Captain Georgiou and Takuvma and Seru and the Discovery logo, as well as the USS Shenzhou. But now we are also getting a brand new Burnham pin. In gold, hmm. Also, Vok and Sarek are available now as well, and they look just stunning. As I mean, I mean, it's it's fan set, so what doesn't look stunning with the pins that they put out? But this is some good stuff. It's a complete. I mean, the first series, I guess you could say, set of pins is is ready to go now, and I can't wait to to get my hands on these things. Oh, me too. You know, as I look at the article in StarTrek.com, it's got the same amazing, you know, uh, pinpoint, pun intended, detail that all the other pins have. I love the uh, the the, the Valk. Is, is that the, the character's name? Um, I love that pin in particular. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Yep. The, the sculpting on that pin. I mean, the Takuvan pin is fantastic, but this one just really pops for me. And I really kind of dig the Sarek pin. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I got to have all these things, Dan. I love the... St- uh, it, oh, we will have all these things, Bill. I love the staff that Sarek is is holding in this pin. And uh, he kind of has uh, a look of what you looked like out in Vegas a couple of months ago when you were scanting it up, buddy. I know, a little Vulcan going on. Uh, so, Dan, we want everyone to head on over to fansets.com. Just get all these pins already. Or I have a feeling if you listen to the brand new podcast following Star Trek Discovery from Trek Geeks, which we'll talk about in a bit, you might hear more about these pins, I'm thinking, maybe, Dan. Huh? You think? Hmm. I think you Vulcan read my mind because, yes, I think that people will have a chance to hear more about getting some of these pins uh, in the very special way in that new show. Dan, speaking of very special things, one of our favorite all-time people in the Star Trek universe had a huge wow moment at this past weekend's creation convention, a continuing voyage in Chicago, and um, the moment was relayed by another good friend of ours. Um, we want to warn people ahead of time. If you don't want to know this detail, if you don't want to know this detail, fast forward about two minutes because there is an aspect of discovery we're going to talk about that you may or may not want to hear about. So, uh, Dan, why don't you tell us about it? Yes. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, out in Chicago is that continuing voyage convention and they had a TNG panel, uh, last night, uh, as we record here on this Sunday and Jonathan Frakes was on stage having a great time as he always does. And our very good friend Andy Fark from Five Year Mission posted out on the Five Year Mission Twitter account that during this panel, Mr. Frakes, who, as you know, has directed an episode of Discovery, he mentioned that one episode of Discovery will take place, wait for it, in the Mirror Universe. Uh, What? Uh, I, I, I mean, anybody who sees that tweet and sees my reply knows that I'm pretty excited about it because you know how I feel about the mirror universe. But for him to drop that, oh my god, that is just something that's like that's going to blow my mind seeing that. You know, Fark did confirm this later on when asked about it again. So you know, he he is he's a source now. Look at that. Look at him. I'm so proud of that guy. Unbelievable. Um, so, I mean, this is, uh, again, <laughs> yeah, he did. This is, uh, we don't know if this detail was supposed to be released. We don't know if this was a, a sort of soft tease that was authorized by CBS. But uh, but Frakes has let this cat out of the bag. But we have no idea which season this episode is going to be in, whether it's this season or maybe mm-hmm. next season. We have no idea if Frakes had anything to do with that particular episode um, or if he just knows about it. But I think that um, it's, I'm excited. I I can't wait to see how they handle this and knowing what David Mack said, how everything squares with the canon. Exactly. And you know what's great is is you can you can you can see that Jonathan Frakes is ex, is just as excited about this as as we the fans are. The other thing that's good is it, 
that he confirmed is that he's seen the pilot and he said, quote, it's amazing. He also says that the freakouts are unfounded and you will be amazed by this series. So it's great to see the excitement from somebody who's been involved in Trek and who is an accomplished uh, actor and director saying things like this at a convention to the fans. And it just makes us more and more excited for one week from tonight because it's going to be glorious. (laughs) Glorious. Well, Dan, also premiering next week, episode one of Discovering Trek, which is now available, and I mean this literally, Dan, everywhere. Um, We're excited about this. We're excited about the fact that you're hosting this particular show. You're producing this show, and um, it's going to be a great time, buddy. It is going to be a great time. I'm very excited about it. We just released our uh, episode zero a couple of weeks ago, and we had a great time doing it. But yes, as you mentioned, you can get Discovering Trek anywhere, everywhere. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get any podcast, you're going to be able to finally see Discovering Trek out there. Um, or you can just go and subscribe to Discovering Trek at your favorite, uh, with your favorite podcast app, and it'll just show up automatically in your feed every week, which is kind of cool. Um, also, you can just go to discoveringtrek.com, um, get all the details about it. And uh, Bill, I think we have some very special guests that are going to be joining us uh, for episode one in one week's time, plus a day. <laughs> one week's time plus a day. I hear that's eight days. Not really sure about that. Math is hard. But yes, Dan, <laughs> joining us for episode one, available September 25th, will be our good friends Jeff Hewlett from the Tricorder Transmissions and Enterprise Extra himself, Jim Morehouse from Trek Ranks. It's, uh, it's going to be great. We were just on Trek Ranks ourselves. So this is kind of a nice continuation of that crossover. Yeah, it is. And uh, a little spoiler alert, we had a blast uh, on Trek Ranks, and uh, it should be out, um, oh, I'm thinking sometime this week, uh, if Jim keeps up with his schedule. Uh, We had a great time, and uh, we can't wait to have them back on our show on Discovering Trek in uh, in eight days. See, I didn't say the week plus one, so I'm, I'm getting better. (laughs) <laughs> you are. Um, it's. I'm excited about it. Discovering Trek is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a deep dive on each week's episode of Star Trek Discovery with lots of spoilers. So be sure you watch Discovery before you listen to Discovering Trek. And, um, you know, we're thinking it's going to be something pretty special. So, Dan, a couple weeks ago, I was watching your favorite channel, H&I. Or no, I'm sorry, it was BBC America, so not your favorite channel. And not mine either, but that's not important right now. And um, there was a Voyager episode on I hadn't seen before. And actually, it was a two-part episode, come to find out. And I wound up sitting through the whole thing. And it was Voyager's workforce. And I thought it would be great to talk about this week because, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot of Voyager this this year on Trek Geeks. Um, and I thought it'd be good to to pay this episode some love because I was really intrigued by it on a variety of levels. I'm guessing that this is one you had seen before, probably when Voyager was in first run. Is that right? Absolutely. It is one that I'd seen. A good season seven, two-parter. Um, and when you brought this and to me and said, hey, why don't we talk about Workforce? I was kind of like, huh, really? Let's talk about that. So I watched it again because I hadn't seen it in a while. And uh, I got to say, along with what you said, it was an intriguing episode with a lot of uh, interesting points to it. So why not? And like you said, we haven't given Voyager a lot of love, especially this year. I think we've had one episode, maybe two uh, in total. So it's a little Voyager love fest today. And and, uh, we picked a good one to talk about or you picked a good one to talk about. And I'm glad that we're going to we're going to bring it up. There's a lot of interesting things in Workforce, part one and part two. You know there really are. I um, you know, I, I'll be uh, I'll be candid. I, I've been really critical of Voyager in the past on this show and and in general in my fandom. But it, it was really kind of refreshing to sit down and and see this sort of episode. And I I I, I was kind of thrown off by it because I didn't expect it to be as Star Trekish as it was to to create a new adjective. I think one of the things that surprised me the most was the way that these characters could break out of 
you know, there were established parameters from the the previous six seasons. Because here we are now, halfway through uh, season seven, the last season, and with this episode, and really kind of create something a little different, but incredibly familiar. And I really appreciated the opportunity for the writing staff to to do that for the viewers. I have to agree uh, with that 100% to take a, a quote from someone uh, very famous that I know. Um, I think that what you just said a moment ago uh, really stands out for me is that is we have not given Voyager a lot of love on the show. One of the things I love about H&I is that Voyager is on every single night. And it's right about the time that my wife and I are getting ready to go to bed. So it's always on. So since it's always on, I've gotten a new appreciation for Voyager, to be honest with you, because it starts from the first episode and it runs right through all season seven. Um, And I appreciate it a lot more now than I did when we first started the podcast. This episode in particular is one that that we're going to get into in depth here, but as you said, a lot of character uh, points in this episode really stand out, and I'm glad we're talking about it. And you know what? I think once you get to the point where you start watching Voyager on a more regular basis, um, because there are some that you have not seen, I think you'll have a greater appreciation for it as well. I think you're probably right about that. I think I'm at a different point in my fandom where I can appreciate some of these things they were trying to do. You know, there was an episode of Trek Ranks recently that talked about uh, you know high concepts or in Voyager or ranking some of those episodes. And it, it caused me to, you know, realize some of them I've seen and some of them I've not. And some of them sound like really great ideas. Now, whether or not they were executed, you know, as I would hope, I, I don't know with some of them, but there were definitely some really solid episodes on, you know, in that discussion on Trek ranks. And that's kind of what made me look at, at workforce a little differently. I'll be honest. And I, I think that, one of the things that I, I appreciated about it right off the bat was the fact that they were smart enough to make it a two-part episode because I think this story was not one they could resolve in in 40-some-odd minutes the way they usually do with Voyager. And I appreciated that most of all in the production of this episode. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that we've been critical about Voyager is that at least in the first couple of seasons, a lot of stories would seem to be really great, but then it was as if the writers forgot that they only had a certain amount of time to wrap it up and they wrapped it up in a really poor way. They didn't do that with Workforce. They they turned it into that two-parter and they were allowed to do everything I think they wanted to do for the story. And it shows because it's one of the better written stories at in, in season seven, there were a lot of good stories. So for that to stand out as well is a big plus. Absolutely. So you know, before we go really any further with this, we should probably give sort of a general synopsis of the story, not necessarily the patented three minute recap. But do you want to hit some high level points about what this episode is about for those who may not have seen it in a while or who may not have seen it at all? Sure. Uh, so basically, uh, the crew, the entire crew, or at least we can tell most of the crew, if not all of the crew, are on some planet. Um, they're all working at what appears kind of funny that this planet has a real shortage of workers. They're all working at this big power plant. They have no memory of their previous life, but they do remember their name and their skills. And it turns out that they were taken prisoner, so to speak, by some aliens to help with the work shortage. And if not for trusty Harry Kim, Chakotay, and the CMH which we'll get into, they would have been there their whole life. But we get to see parts of their characters that we never saw before, especially with Captain Janeway. Uh, what what have you to add, sir? Well, I think that you know one of the most interesting facets about this episode is you know you mentioned that you know the crew doesn't really remember who they are, but they wind up in roles in this workforce that are really kind of similar to who they are as people and sort of take their strengths and leverage them. And that was really one of the aspects that I thought the most interesting about this, that not only could this alien race just sort of, you know, erase portions of their memory or at least block them, but find a way to utilize the, the, the most specific strengths of the Voyager crew in in doing whatever it was this plant did. So like, you know, seven was the efficiency expert. <laughs> what a shock. Uh, Paris mm-hmm. worked at a bar, which I really <laughs> think is probably his greatest strength. Um, you know, Bellana worked in the plant, you know, Janeway, um, you know, had a, a job that was really kind of, kind of played to her whole science uh, background, which I thought was fascinating. So I really appreciated the fact that this alien race could very quickly ascertain what, 
what our crew's strengths were. And I thought that was really neat. It kind of reminded me a little bit about TNG's conundrum. If you remember, they had their entire memories erased except for their skills. They had their skill set. And it and I did think of that while I was watching Workforce recently about how it was interesting. It wasn't the same race, obviously. We're in a different part of the galaxy. But that technology seems to exist in at least a couple of places. And maybe it's about time the Federation got it. <laughs> maybe. This would solve a whole bunch of problems, right? <laughs> um, you know, for the second time in Voyager, the Doctor is pretty much the only one left on board, at least for a, for a time in this, until Chakotay and Kim come back right. in their their EVA suits. And this kind of brings up the the aspect of the emergency command hologram, which you and I kind of disagree on to some extent. Um. I'll let you go with with your take on it, and then I'm going to follow up with why I have the opposite view, if that's okay. Sure, that's fine, because I know you're going to slam what I have to say, but that's all right. Yeah, I um, I am a fan of the emergency command hologram. I thought it was a great um, way for them to do things in a bind, um, the writing staff, I should say. Um, I will get into it later. There are some parts of it that I don't like. I don't like how Picardo played the ECH, but I do like the idea of an ECH. If we have an emergency medical hologram, why can't we have an emergency command hologram? If we're in a situation that it's needed, all the command staff um, is not available, then I think it's great. Um, I liked. I like it. I, I guess that's the best and easiest way I can put it. I thought it was kind of cool. I can appreciate that you like it. I think it's it's a lazy story device, quite honestly. Um, huh. You know, it, it, typically in cases like this, you know, when there's <laughs> when there's no one left. I mean, because the whole crew has to evacuate. Um, I, I get that they don't want to set the auto destruct, but they could have disabled everything. You know, uh, the captain's supposed to go down with the ship. I'm not suggesting Janeway should have in this case, but um, but we, we run into a situation in this episode, and I don't know if they intended this, where a bridge officer, albeit an ensign, is reporting to the Voyager computer because it's really what the, the, the doctor is. He's a representation of a program in the Voyager's computer, and it, well, all of these people in Starfleet on the bridge, everybody with a rank has gone to Starfleet Academy. Um, they may not all have gone to command school, but that's saying that of the, you know, however many people are on Voyager, um, at some point they all could report to the doctor if the command codes are transferred. And I think that that's just a, a gaping plot hole because essentially they're taking orders from the ship. Poor Harry. He's never going to get a break. Is he, uh, I can I can see your logic with that, um, I, and and you're right. Was it was it done purposefully? I mean, Harry has always been the one that gets uh, that gets pooped on, so to speak, with with Voyager. And maybe they're like, "Hey, let's throw this one in because it'll be the ultimate insult." Let's not let Harry be in command. Let's let the Doctor, who's been transferred to a command program, be in charge, and Harry has to to report to him. I kind of see how that's kind of like, "Oh my God, really?" At the same time. If and we see it with the doctor, if if let's say that um, Nurse Chapel was on board Voyager um, and she had been taking uh, classes to become a doctor, the EMH would still be the one that she would need to report to. I can kind of see a similarity with the ECH. If that knowledge is there in the database, eight hundred thousand tactical programs or something like that, and it's available to use. Why not use it, even if you are going to step on the toes of someone who has a rank? I, I, I think it's I don't think it's a bad idea. Well, what if that person is, you know, a lieutenant commander, like, say, Deanna Troy <laughs> in Next Generation, when she is essentially in command of the Enterprise when the ship is disabled? You know, here is somebody who is a ranking bridge officer, you know, who who has experience in Starfleet, who knows what the rules are and She's the ranking officer on deck, which means she's in command. So that means that the computer, which could be damaged, could be in charge. You have to wonder if it was a possible um, situation with Janeway where 
she knew that they were going to need someone or something in this case that had more experience with command than just whoever would be left. Now, granted, nobody was left at the time that Janeway transferred command to the to the doctor, so that makes sense. So do we want to really put the blame on Chakotay for not giving Harry uh, command when they arrived back? Or do we want to give him thumbs up for realizing that Harry may not be ready for it, so he let the doctor stay in command, or as he put it, let them work it out themselves, which they actually did. Well, which they actually did, but you're right. Chicote should have made a decision one way or the other instead of saying, uh, you guys figure it out because he's the first officer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's his, it's his job to, you know, make assignments like that. But what do I know? I mean, I'm just a viewer. <laughs> I, I think that the writers were trying to create conflict between, you know, Harry and the doctor. And on some levels, I think this worked. But for me personally, on other levels, I just, I thought it was poorly executed. And that's really my biggest complaint about this episode, honestly. That's interesting that it's that it's one of your biggest complaints. It's one of the things that I actually like the best about it. Now, there are some aspects, like I said, um, I think that, as a hologram, so basically, as you said, as the computer of the ship, I think that well, I'll call him the doctor. The doctor's portrayal of the ECH, he was kind of arrogant and he was kind of a jerk at times, which I didn't think was the right way to do it. And, you know, little things like both of them trying to move at the same time and bumping into each other shoulder to shoulder. And then, you know, who's going to go first type of thing was a little eh. But I, I just think the idea of the ECH was a good one. And um, for the most part, it was played out well. He had some things in his, in his head of how he wanted to do some maneuvers and some battles, um, which I think worked, which somebody who was in command and had not had the experience may never have been able to think of. Okay. I think it's the one we'll probably have to agree to disagree on. Um, I know I'm not going to change your mind and you certainly aren't going to change mine. (laughs) (laughs) So, so why don't we move along? Um, I think probably it's good to call out some of the uh, the guest performances in this episode because there are some solid performances here from a, a number of people. Uh, James Reed is is great in this episode. Um, he creates a, a character that is you know the, the perfect opposite for Janeway, and it's easy to see why those two characters fall in so easily, um, including in their living arrangements. Yes, I I agree a hundred percent. James Reed. Uh, is a great actor. My all-time favorite miniseries is not Roots, which a lot of people pick. Uh, it is a series called North and South with Patrick Swayze and James Reed. And James Reed plays uh, one of the hazards. And I've always loved that miniseries. I love the performance that he puts in this. So when he was a guest star on Voyager, which I always love when we get these guest stars on on Star Trek that are in other things that are that made them famous. So to see him in here, I was so happy and really hope that his character um, was a good character and 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 stood out and and it did he did a fantastic job as Jaffin without a doubt he um he was a character that you know for part of the episode I was wondering well you know is is he gonna turn out to be like you know a villain type guy but no he just he was a genuine hard-working guy you know uh, and he just you know he he fell in love with Janeway and and I understand I mean Janeway is really great in this episode it's nice to see Kate Mulgrew get a chance to be a little more human so you know back in 2014 we were at uh, at the creations convention in Boston Garrett Wong was on stage and he talked about the infamous dinner or what I call the infamous dinner where the producers took the cast out and said okay everybody and I'm paraphrasing, but we really want the aliens to pop. So we want your reactions to be, you know, sort of dialed down a bit. And, you know, the, the crew essentially wasn't allowed to, to play as much emotion as we would hope as viewers, which for me, it was kind of a light bulb moment in explaining why Voyager just never clicked with me. And I've sort of kept that in the back of my mind as I watch other Voyager episodes. But in this, Kate Mulgrew actually gets to be human and by that i mean she has real reactions whether they're funny or sad or happy Uh, she's got a great couple of eye rolls in this episode that are hilarious if you catch them but she gets to be a really well-rounded person and not just a starship captain and that's one of the most exciting things to me in this episode 
Absolutely. One of the more subtle, but one of the stronger ones that I took from her performance as being human, like you said, is right at the very, very beginning where she's coming down the stairs of the, of the plant and she's just looking out over the vista and seeing everything and the huge smile on her face. And then she realizes that she's late for work. So she starts running down the stairs to get to the platform. Just that first scene of what of, of what she does. That's not something that you're used to seeing with Janeway. So it really stood out to me and was a great diving off point for the entire two-parter. I thought it was great. Uh, absolutely. You know, and I thought there were, you know, great scenes with, with actually all of the characters in this episode. I think every member of the crew got a really nice moment on one level or another. Um, I have to say, I really like the the end scene with Bellana and Tom in their quarters, where he's just sort of watching cartoons, and you realize everything is back to normal. Um, you know, th- there's not a lot to that scene, but I think it's it's really powerful in in resetting their relationship for the viewer. Honestly, yes, I love how Bellana first kisses him on the cheek for protecting her, even though he didn't know who she was, and then punching him for flirting with someone who he didn't know who she was. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. So, Dan, um, what other plot points really stood out to you or, or, or moments in this episode stood out to you uh, as far as, you know, um, uh, being really unique about this episode? Uh, and, and later on, we'll talk about the, the three things that we boil it down to. Sure. I will say that one of the things that stood out to me is something that I wasn't really uh, excited about uh, were the duck people. <laughs> I guess it's the best way to put it. Specifically, I, I got to say, I love the guy. <laughs> I uh, I love the guy, but uh, Donnie Moe's character of Caden was extremely cardboardish to me, and I wasn't a big fan of that character. Um, but I just every time I every time I saw him specifically with the makeup and the way that the, the mouth was, I just all I could think of was duck face. I'm sorry, I, I've said it. <laughs> you know, you bring up a great point because. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up first, but, uh, I, I hate to disparage another actor, you know, in Star Trek, Donnie most is terrible in this episode. Um, their uh, cardboard, I think is probably the best description you could have provided because he really adds nothing to this role. Um, it's there. I, I don't get the sense of, of any sinister quality. I don't get the sense of any, you know, villainy. He's just, he's way too plain and unemotional. I, um, you know, I expect something along the lines of, uh, not really a mad scientist, but perhaps, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I hasten to, to make this, this analogy and I, I'm going to regret this, I'm sure, but maybe like a Dr. Mengele of sorts for this alien species, you know, somebody who is using science in a horribly perverted way. Um, to the detriment of uh, of countless species and is really kind of disgusting. I I, I think this character needed that air, uh, but not without being over the top. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I don't think your comparison is, is, is bad at all. It, you know, we saw someone like Dr. Russell in the TNG episode Ethics when she wanted to do the procedure on Worf's spine and everybody was wondering, you know, you know, is this an episode about about what's right and what's wrong? And even if if Caden was that level, which wasn't that much when you think about what was going on in this episode, it would have been leaps and bounds more than what Donnie Most character, uh, I'm sorry, what, uh, I was almost going to call him Ralph Mal, what, um, what most character was, um, in this episode. But I like the mad scientist analogy that you use because for what he's doing and, and how he's doing it, he's got to be a little bit loopy in order to think that it's okay to do it. So I like your mad scientist Mengele, uh, comparison. I think that would have worked beautifully and would have really made his character pop a lot more. You know, and, and they didn't have to make it, you know, over-the-top scenery-chewing-like. You know, they, they could have made it, you know, very reasoned, you know, very logical of sorts, you know, based on the, the profit this guy was going to see from the company. You know, they could have played that angle really well. You know, made him sort of along the lines of uh, of the Henry Starling in, in, uh, in that we see earlier on in Voyager. I think if he were that type of character, mm-hmm. that sort of just really devious, devious scheming kind of scumbag... I think that would have served 
this entire episode better. Luckily, I don't think the episode suffers from his performance. I just I, I was taken right out of his scenes, though, because it just like I said, it's, it's not great. Yeah, I would have to say it's unfortunate that that was probably, well, in my opinion, because I think the CMH was yours, um, was probably the the point in this episode that was the lowest for me was that was that performance. And it's really too bad because we see somebody like Mr. Most uh, in an episode of Voyager. We want it to be good, but it just it was it was tough. Uh, yeah, it really was. Uh, anything else you got there, buddy? Uh, we talked about CMH. I love that. I, I found it very, very interesting that the Quora, who I believe were the name of the aliens in this episode, their ships were Breen. Did you realize that? <laughs> I did. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I did. I thought that was really interesting. Um, well, you know, we know they reuse stuff from time to time. And, you know, uh, I, I just was like, okay, all right. So they're reusing the brain model. That's cool. And I just moved along. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I say that as a, as a joke, of course, but I did like this. I did like the effects in this episode. I, I liked the Tuvok. Oh, God. Tim Russ, I thought was just great in this. The very first scene that he's in where he's belly laughing at the bar. And it actually took me a couple of seconds to realize that it was actually Tuvok. I thought that was great. And he did a great job throughout the episode showing his fragility, I guess, is the best way to put it, and how he was kind of losing it. His facial expressions, the way that his body reacted to different things going on around him. I thought that he was one of the things that was great about this episode, but that laugh at the beginning is one that I will uh, I will always enjoy and rewatch whenever I get the chance, because it was pretty good. <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, so, you know, usually when we talk about Star Trek episodes, we, we have central questions that we consider, and for one that was really... Uh, you know, there's one that stood out to me, and it's this. Is this version of Janeway who she is deep down, or is this how the aliens have created her to fit into their society? Um, I- I've thought about this for a while, but I'm interested to hear what you think about this particular topic. Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and I think the way that I would answer it is this. The alien's job, or the doctor, was to erase certain memories, um, but implant in them as they as they said in the episode that they love their job and that's the thing that i think only they talked about was loving their job so that their life was good going to work i think outside of work it was a deep down thing with janeway i think that we saw how janeway was deep down and it was not something that the aliens put into her um they put into her the love of her job and the ability to work at that plant but everything else we saw with Jaffin, uh, I think, was what she really was like. And we kind of saw that at the beginning of Voyager, just a tiny bit with Mark before they left and were trapped in the Delta Quadrant. Okay. I, I guess I can buy that. I mean, I wasn't really sure, but hearing the way you, you put it out there as a, as a defense of sorts um, kind of really explains it to me um, a little better. You know, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe they did implant some of that to you know, create a, help create a cohesive workforce, you know? So you find things in common with other people. I didn't know if their technology accounted for that or if Caden accounted for that. But as you explained it that way, I think you're right on some level. I think that this is who Janeway is. It's just that that it's that facade of being a Starfleet captain in her mind that prevents her from bringing that person out and why she shoulders so much of that, that feeling and that emotion internally, you know, which we see at various points. Um, I, I, it's really kind of a shame because there are elements of this, this version of Janeway. I will we'll call her amnesia Janeway for, for one of a better uh, explanation, but there are elements of amnesia Janeway that I think would square really well with who captain Janeway is in this series. And it's, you know, here we are midway through the last season of Voyager. And these are things that really could have enhanced that character even more um, than, than the solid performance we got out of Kate. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Um, There's not really much more I can, I can build on, on what you just said. Uh, we've talked about it before, man. And, and, and it is a shame that that conversation that, that Garrett talked about when we were in Boston, it really is a shame that the writing staff felt that that's the way that they had to go for a majority of the series where they weren't able to really bring out their, their talents. 
thank God that we had this episode where they really could. If the entire series was like this in terms of, especially with, with Kate and how she um, portrayed Janeway in this episode, if it was like that throughout the entire series, I think there'd be a lot more love for Voyager. I'm seeing a lot more love for Voyager now. I see a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people that Voyager is their favorite series, believe it or not. Um, I think we would see a lot more of that if they were able to do things that they were able to do specifically here in workforce. Yeah. I mean, that that's why I think this episode is just so classically Trek, you know, because we get to see the humanity of this episode, even though it's, it's roles that our crew are not typically in. I think that's why I really enjoyed it. So Dan, let's wrap up our discussion on, on workforce with sort of three things, you know, as we typically do, give me a bullet list of the, um, of the things that you think make this episode, you know, stand out or, um, really make this episode shine. Sure, absolutely. Now, uh, what I'm going to give you for my three standouts are in no particular order, so I don't say one is better than the other. Um, we've talked about a couple of them a little bit, and my first one I'm going to say is James Reed as Jeff, and I thought he was a great uh, guest star. I thought his character uh, was was a great character. The chemistry between him and Kate Mulgrew uh, really worked, and it was good to see that at least one of the guest stars uh, shined in this episode as James Reed did. And if anybody has not seen North and South, go see it, please. Um, the other one I would say we've talked about also is Kate Mulgrew's performance in this. It is, uh, uh, one of her best, uh, performances in Voyager. And I'm glad that she was able to, um, show us a side of Janeway that we had never really gotten to see to this level before. And so I want to give a very big, shout out to her and and props for the performance in this episode and the one that we disagree on the most i think about is one of my favorite aspects is the cmh i thought it was a great idea um i liked it you could actually have a a computer program for just about any um anything in the ship at this point since we've got one for sick bay now we have one for the bridge if miles o'brien gets hurt on the enterprise we can probably throw one in over in the transporter room the tmh maybe i guess we'll call it that one but uh, i did like the idea of the cmh so i'm gonna go with that one as one of my standouts as well bill very nice um for mine i have to say uh, i'll start with the uh, the last scene that uh kate mulgrew and james reed have together it's it's a fantastic scene it's gut-wrenching man I um, you see the pain on Janeway's face, and you see the pain on James Reed's face, and um, I think it's just it's a really well crafted and beautifully acted scene. Um, I also really like the way Neelix introduces Bellana to her life or reintroduces her to her life. Um, I, I thought that that scene really gave both characters a chance to to own the moment. You know, I'm not a big Neelix fan, but I really think that Neelix was used well in this particular episode. And uh, it was great to see Bellana sort of coming to these realizations. Uh, and, and I think Roxanne Dawson actually directed the second part of Workforce, which I think is another reason why it stood out so well. But uh, um, that definitely was a, a standout scene for me. And then lastly, Dan, I got to say, Kate Mulgrew. Um, for me, she's the best aspect of this episode. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of crushing on Kate a little bit with this episode. And I understand why Jaffin sort of develops a thing for her because she is an amazing person in this episode. You know, she's imminently likable. You know, she's sweet. She's kind of quirky. <laughs> she has great reactions. She, you know, she's intelligent. She's all of those things that Janeway is, but yet there's that certain something extra. And I just think Kate's performance really just sort of sends this episode over the top. She just can't cook, dude. well that's why they're replicators right that's right hey i I did want to say one thing in regards to one of your standouts and that's that final scene that final scene like you said is gut-wrenching and it shows i said to my wife as we were watching the episode i said this shows the alienation or the or the um having to be alone that starship captains have when when jaffin comes to her quarters she is standing ramrod straight like a captain and she has that facade on her and it's it's difficult to watch that knowing what she was like with jaffin and that moment where that all comes crashing down and she they run towards each other is a touching moment and you just you 
God, you kind of wish that Jaffin would say, okay, I'll come with you and we'll go to the Alpha Quadrant together. But she's a captain. It can't happen or it doesn't happen in most of the series that we've seen. And it it, it was just a great, great and heart-wrenching ending to to this episode. You know, it's, it's an episode or a, a set of episodes that I could watch over and over and not tire of. I, with episodes like this, I understand why people latched on to Voyager. Um, I, I, it does make me feel like I have to go back and, and, and really make it through the rest of the series, something I still have yet to do <laughs> now, what, uh, 20 some odd years after it's premiered, but it's, um, I know there are going to be episodes that I shake my head at, but with moments like this, it's going to make a rewatch a whole lot easier. I got to admit it. So Dan, that kind of wraps up our look at workforce. Um, a really, really enjoyable two-parter for Voyager. If you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself to break out the DVDs or get on the Netflix and uh, and dial that up. Dan, we want to be sure to thank our great friends of the band Five Year Mission. This past weekend, they were at the Continuing Voyage Convention in Chicago for Creation Entertainment. They were the house band. And we just want to reiterate that they need to come back to STLV where they belong. So if... Um, you want to tweet at Creation Entertainment, and everybody wants to tweet at Creation Entertainment to bring back 5YM as the house band. I think that would be amazing, especially since they're working on year four. They're going to have all kinds of new stuff to jam out on stage, and um, I think it's just fantastic. We thank them as we do every single week for letting us use their music in every episode of Trek Geeks, and uh, head on out to 5yearmission.net and download all their stuff, man. I could not say it better myself, and I can't say it better myself because I can't talk too good. But yes, um, looked like they had a great time uh, in Chicago being the uh, official house band. And you're right, with all this new stuff that's going to be coming out with year four, oh my God, it's a no-brainer that they should be back at STLV in August next year. So like you said, tell Creation we want to see them there. They're the best at what they do, and I would love to see them. But if they do get there, it would be a good thing. And I would say this, if it happens. Rest easy, Brother Andy, for you have walked in the path of the prophets. There is no greater glory, for you are the drummer and the drum. That's right. It's Fark Beyond the Stars. I, oh, Really? God. <laughs> you, you, I, I am left without, I'm without speech. I am, I am without speech. I, uh. Yeah, that's one I'm surprised you didn't bring out before. But now that you have, I'm instantly regretting. <laughs> Dude, I just got a, I got a, I, every week we can look forward to something. And I just, you know, sometimes I throw one out that's better than another. I wanted to go all out this week. And so I picked one of the best ones. Fark Beyond the Stars. Uh, go all out. You did, my friend. Indeed. Dan, we also want to thank our good friend Aaron Harvey. He of Trek FM Saturday Morning Trek and The Edge, Trek FM's dedicated Star Trek Discovery podcast. He created the Trek Geeks Delta, which you see adorning this podcast every single episode, and we love it so much. We can't thank him enough. We hope you'll check out his podcasts or check him out over on Twitter, at Geek Filter. Um, he's been doing some amazing Star Trek Discovery fan art that uh, we know you're going to love. And uh, again, Aaron, thank you so much. Dan, next week... We're going to be doing something special for a couple of weeks and um, with something we hope everybody loves. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, it's here, people. We've been waiting for over a decade now for new Trek on TV. And next week, our wish will finally be granted as Star Trek Discovery hits CBS and CBS All Access on Sunday, September 24th. Um, and next week, along with that new show, we are so proud to be premiering our brand new podcast. So for the next two weeks, as Bill said, we will be bringing you a special preview of Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion presented by Fansets with episodes one and two right here on Trek Geeks. We are very excited and we cannot wait to share it with all of you. Uh, we really can't. We want to remind everybody, please remember that Discovering Trek will have spoilers for each week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, and we absolutely will have all appropriate spoiler warnings so that nothing gets ruined for you. But uh, we absolutely wanted to share this brand new podcast with you all, and that'll be in the Trek Geeks feed the next two weeks. So keep an eye out for it. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. 
Obviously, Jeff and Jim will be joining us on Discovering Trek Episode 1, but they've got a whole host of podcasts over at Tricorder that are going to be the favorite of every Star Trek fan, no matter what. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, including Discovery, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been Episode 115 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Mr. Paris, set a course for coconuts. <laughs> Engage. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> What's, I didn't know you were rating these on a scale. Oh, dude, I rate everything you do on a scale. So now we know where the bottom of the scale sits. Thank you very much. Thank no, we you. know Welcome where America, under buddy. the bottom of it. Yeah, I didn't know that scales could have negatives, but you know, you you're, you're able to break records every week. And here I was, just about to welcome you back and wish you a happy birthday. Instead, you can go screw. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, great, great show, buddy. Thank you. See ya. <laughs> Although I did say welcome back, and you know you've still third time now, and you've not acknowledged that. So it was a great uh, trip. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I I survived a hurricane, dude. <laughs> or did it survive you? Oh, nicely, nicely done. Maybe that's why it kind of like, you know, was was not as big as it was earlier in the week by the time it hit Orlando. Yeah. 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 But it, was, it was it was interesting. It's my first real hurricane. I mean, by the time hurricanes get up to New England, they're usually not that very big. Um, very like a lot. Um, so uh, I just knew you were going to do that. And I don't know how <laughs> I do it all the time now. And I actually did that during a, a one of my Facebook live videos during the hurricane and reference Vic after I did it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, I didn't see it was, all it was, of your Facebook live videos, but I saw a, a good number of them. And including the sideways one. Uh, yes, which my wife also saw. <laughs> oh, yes. And she also made a nice comment on it. Thanks. <laughs> well, she told me she was going to, and I said, oh, you absolutely have to post that. Yep. Absolutely. I originally was, and I was taking them like, okay, people say that you should not take pictures with your phone in portrait anymore. It's better to do it in landscapes. I said, all right, I'm going to try this video on landscape. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, not, in, not in Facebook Live, it doesn't. No. Get on that, Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure he's listening, and I'm sure yeah. he will have that remedied for you immediately. I would expect a ticket to be opened on it immediately. Oh wow! You, yes. have, you have you have high goals and aspirations. I do. Frankly, that's, I'm not comfortable with that. That's that's all right. You don't have to be comfortable with that. You just have to deal with it. Well, um, yeah. I see you get to executive produce a show, and all of a sudden, all the power goes to your head. All right, fine. Yeah. Now, I don't think I think during the outtake, I'm going to be whatever I want to be. <laughs> Once the show starts, though, I am your little soldier, pal. Maybe yes, one sir. of these days, you maybe one of these days, you could try being good. <laughs> Ouch! Wow. So, in all seriousness, you want to hear something that was a little sad? Uh, so, wow. Not if it's going to bring everybody down. No, it won't bring everybody down. It was just, you know, the storm was not very devastating, at least in the area that I was in. Disney's very good at, you know, at keeping things, you know, good. But um, Fort Wilderness, which is the campground area, the resort for yeah. people that want to camp out or use RVs or whatever, they evacuated everybody out of there before the storm. And they had people staying at various resorts throughout the Disney property, including the one that we were at, which was Copper Creek Ridge. Of course, that allowed lots of dogs to be at the resort, which was really cool. Sue and I just love that. But after the storm, um, it was announced that Wild uh, Fort Wilderness is closed indefinitely because it got crushed by the storm wow just, just trees uprooted everywhere and millions of dollars of damage just in that one area so it's closed for quite a while which is kind of sad 
Well, thank goodness they had enough presence of mind to get everybody out of there before the storm hit. Oh, yeah. They they did a fantastic job. They brought extra staff into all the resorts to stay there um, during the storm because the parks were closed for two days. And, you know, the kids at the resorts, they need stuff to do. So all the lobbies were turned into giant game rooms and they had the characters there all the time. And the arcade rooms were free the whole two days that the parks were closed. I mean, they really do a great job of taking care of everybody. Yeah, it was great. So. So there was power. I assume there was like, you know, the restaurants were in operation. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's no, cool. no, no loss of power whatsoever. And, and it, it was great the next day. Um, I have pictures on my Facebook page. The lines were non-existent in the parks when the parks reopened. We walked onto Space Mountain. We walked onto Toy Story Mania. We walked onto Philhar Magic. I mean, it was, it was like, I've never, I've not seen it like that in 15 years. Wow. Yeah. That's, so we that's benefited amazing. from it. Yeah. I mean, I took well, a picture uh, of Main Street USA at 1040 in the morning and there were like three people there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. <laughs> it was pretty great. Well, uh, I, I know I, we're glad that uh, that you and the family were, were safe and weathered the storm literally. Uh, and, and we're glad you're back, buddy. And I hope it's been a good birthday weekend for you. I'm glad to be back. Thank you very much. It's been a great birthday weekend. I've been doing some repairs around the house because things break from time to time, but it's been awesome. Uh, can't compl- can't complain. Birthday's not a big thing for me, but uh, uh, Sue and I had a, a wonderful day yesterday, and we're going to have a wonderful day today after I get you out of the situation, and uh, then we'll go from there. Woo-hoo. Wow. Here I am being <laughs> nice to you and stuff. Uh, just wait for your intro then, your your host. You, um, you know that my being sarcastic to you only means that I love you, pal. Yeah. Pally. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. Hey, so, hey, so what I are you drinking? I haven't said anything about Los Angeles, so that's a good thing. I'm drinking uh, Boston, uh, Boston Cream Coffee. Boston Cream Donut Coffee. I am drinking uh, Caribou Coffee's Caramel Hideaway. Oh, my. I like it's very caramel. tasty. Is the caramel kind of hidden in the taste? A little bit, yeah. It's busy but not precocious on the palate. Oh, wow. Um, It's better than the Duncan's caramel, I think. I'm not a fan of the Duncan's caramel, no. Oh, it's horrible. And the Starbucks one is even worse. I'm not a fan of Starbucks, period, so. (laughs) Well, no, but, you know, my wife bought, uh, you know, a small box of the K-Cups of the Starbucks caramel to try. Yes. And yep. uh, she hated it so much, she brought him into work. <laughs> <laughs> Here, everybody, I don't like these, so you can have them. <laughs> I hate these. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jerk, you ready to do this? I is. What, what was so? I, I is. <laughs> I is. I is. Uh, I see your command of the English language is stronger than ever. It's gotten better in my vacation time. Has it? Nah. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's go.